0: Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening and God bless. It is amazing any time that we can, you know, come into the presence of God, whether it be in prayer or praise and just be in awe that the fact that we get to approach him, that we get to talk to him, that we get to you know experience what it is to be a Christian and be able to praise our almighty creator. This morning, what I want us to do, though, I want us to continue as we've been working through the book of Acts. Last week, we discussed the issue of diversity, and we talked about how diversity is a wonderful thing. We talked about how the church is supposed to be a place of diversity, where we bring people from all different backgrounds to come and experience the awe of, of knowing God. And we get to see that. We see that in our own congregation, and hopefully we see that everywhere else too, where people come together, and they have one purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. And in spite of all the differences, whether it be differences of our upbringings, our past, our struggles, our race, our nationality, whatever, we can still come together and serve God. We also talked about that as a country too, one of the the big claims to fame, one of our points of, of pride as even a, a country is our diversity and the fact that America is a place where people come from all sorts of different backgrounds and that produces a lot of strength and the sharing of ideas and and all of that. However, in a diverse situation, you'll find that there's many differences and those differences sometimes cause drama. It happens. It's going to happen. I mean. Any of you that maybe are married, and I never had any of this issue, but you probably did. You know, you're coming together with two different families, two different backgrounds. You have differences. What are you going to do on Christmas? Who are you going to spend time with? How are you going to raise the kids? All those kinds of things. Differences sometimes cause drama, and that happens even in the church. So the question is then, how do you take a group of people diverse from all sorts of different backgrounds, and how do you get them to get along? How do you get people to overcome their differences? Not just set them all aside, because differences are what make us unique. There's nothing wrong with being different than the person next to you. But how can we, as a diverse group of people, have unity? Well, last week, what we did is we went to the book of Acts. And we're gonna continue with our study of the book of Acts this week. And we are in Acts chapter 15. And what we've been doing is we've been discussing how the early church turned the world upside down with the message of Christ, We started with, you know, the beginning of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and we've gone forward now through into Acts chapter 15, where now we're seeing Gentiles converted. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus and what he did on this earth and, you know, his resurrection and ascension. The book of Acts tells what his followers did after he left, how they spread the message of Christianity and how Christianity grew. And the book of Acts also deals with the different problems that come about with Christianity and, you know, what they deal with. So in Acts chapter 15, what you find is that Paul and Silas and others have been going up to the regions where the Gentiles are. Non-Jewish people are called Gentiles or nations in scripture. The church began with Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2. Everybody there on the day of Pentecost, you know, um, were from all different backgrounds, or they're celebrating a Jewish feast. So it makes sense that they're from a Jewish background. They got converted to Jesus. Jesus' early disciples were, were Jewish, right? So it was looked at as kind of a movement originally among the Jews. But we know from prophecy, we know from the teaching of Jesus, that Christianity was never supposed to be exclusively for one nation of people. So they go out and they preach it to the Gentiles too. And in Acts chapter 15, we find that many Gentiles have turned to Jesus and have been converted. Praise God, that's wonderful, right? You see the power of the gospel. doesn't matter what your background is, you can come to Jesus and follow him. But the drama that came about was, what requirements do we as Christians place upon these new converts? Specifically, what requirements did Jewish Christians or should Jewish Christians place upon these new converts from a Gentile background. Because what many of the Jewish Christians did was, is they followed Jesus, but they still tried to keep different Old Testament practices. Inherently, some of those, there's not necessarily something wrong with that. There wouldn't be anything wrong with, you know, remembering the Pentecost or Passover or something like that. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. And even circumcision, which was kind of the hot bun issue of the day, wouldn't have been inherently wrong for you to practice that if, if you wanted to. But the issue was some of these Jewish Christians were taking what they thought they needed to do as a matter of conscience and they wanted to bind it upon these Gentile converts. They didn't have anything to do with that old law. They never did those things before. And for you to tell them to practice something like circumcision, you're like, hold on here. That's not what I signed on for. So, in Acts chapter 15, you have this whole conference that takes place to discuss how do we deal with these Gentile converts. And what we looked at last week in part one of our lesson, we discussed that in this, we see how we as Christians are to solve problems. We need to not avoid addressing the problem. There was a problem, they talked about it. We can't just avoid things and hope they go away. Number two, we talked about, we need to have open and honest discussion about the issues at hand. Number three, we talked about, we offer the same grace of God, God to others that God has offered to us. And then finally, we discuss that we need to listen to those who are more informed than us. That was part one of this. And we talked about how even in our life, if it's a non-religious issue too, we can solve a lot of problems this same way. Open an honest discussion, address the issue, offer grace, and listen to people that know more than you, right? That's good practical advice for life. And we kind of concluded last week with the words of James, who's going to speak here in a moment. Where he said, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and sligger. When you're confronted with an issue, when you're confronted with a message from God's word, sometimes we need to stop, take a deep breath, and let cooler heads prevail. Well, part two then of our lesson this morning, Acts chapter 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 13, because in verse 12, it ends with a testimony of Barnabas and Paul, where they're telling everybody about how the Gentiles were converted and everybody's enjoying hearing about it. We love a good conversion story, right? We have visiting missionaries come to the church here. They give a mission report. We don't really care so much about hearing about the budget, although that's important, or, I don't know, we want to see pictures of conversions, right? That's what we like. We like to hear about people coming to Jesus, and that's kind of what's happening here. Paul and Barnabas are talking about all the people that were converted, and everybody's listening about how God saved the Gentiles. Well, then following that, James, the brother of Jesus, gets up in verse 13. It says, after they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So now you have another leader in the early church, not an apostle either, but here's a person of influence, right? And James is kind of a neat story because he converted to to following Jesus as the son of God later, you know, if you can convince your own brother that you are the Messiah, you probably are the Messiah because I guarantee it, I don't care what Roman says, Xander is never going to believe that he's the son of God, right? But he was able to convince James. And now James is a leader in the early church. And James gets up and he says, brethren, let me tell you something. Simeon even said that God was going to call the Gentiles to follow him. And then James quotes scripture to the people. He says in verse 15, With this, the words of the prophets agree. He says, look, remember what the prophet said back in Amos chapter nine? He says, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild it and I shall restore it so that the rest of mankind, think about that, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles and all the nations, right, who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. So now James is trying to to squelch the audience and is saying, well, we need to bind some things on these people or maybe we shouldn't accept them. James says, look, we have to accept the Gentiles. They're not anywhere less than us as Jewish believers. Even in fact, prophecy way before this issue even started said that God was going to present a message to the nations, that Gentiles would be saved. So James appeals to their emotions and he appeals to them with scripture pretty good way to prove your point in a religious setting, right? So then James offers a conclusion. So here's his conclusion. Remember, the issue is, what do we require of Gentile converts? Now, maybe thinking, we'll just require what God does. Well, how do we apply that? See, this is a drama now, because you have two different cultures meshing together. You have those that were brought up in a very strict religious culture, like the Jewish people would have been. They were what you consider, like, fundamentalist, really conservative, hardline. They had their ways of doing things, and each side of that just upset them, okay? I mean, it was like, oh, no, you can't do that, right? I mean, it's that idea. And then you have the Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't like them at all the Gentiles, like, their worship was like raves. I mean, they'd get together and they'd, they'd have all this promiscuous immorality and they they would do all these disgusting things. You would, like, just curl the hair on the back of your neck if you are a Jewish person. And they're pagans. They're, they're the opposite of us. I mean, at least us as Jews, you know, we serve the same God that we still serve as Christians. These guys, statues and nature and all sorts of weird stuff. And yet now, they're following Jesus. And we got to get them together. So here's James's suggestion. First, he lays the groundwork. He says, look, brethren, listen up. The Bible says that we need to accept the Gentiles. You can't argue with that. You can't argue what the Bible says, right? You know, thus saith the Lord. It said it right there. We should accept the Gentiles. So here's what Peter says. He says, therefore, it is my judgment. So he says, look, I have to put together and come with an accurate conclusion. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Now, remember specifically the issue of circumcision. Definitely don't tell them to do that, he says. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, right now, everybody's like, what? We'll talk about that. But here's the issue, or here's the suggestion that James has. James says, let's not bind circumcision on them. We can't do that. In fact, I love what he says. He says, do not trouble the Gentile converts. I imagine there's a resounding amen from any Gentile in the audience when they find out that we're not going to require circumcision, right? I mean, so do not trouble them. And in fact, do not make them do things that we shouldn't make them do. It's kind of his point. And what happens is sometimes very well-meaning Christians, especially those that have been brought up in the faith, that are really you know conservative in their ideas, a lot of times we're like the Jews, okay? I'm like that. I was brought up in a home that believed in Jesus, had some pretty strict moral guidelines and requirements on things that we do and we don't do. There's a lot of things that, uh, as a matter of judgment, I choose not to do that I probably could do, but I don't. But the Gentiles weren't brought up the same way as me. And I probably picture myself here as probably one of the Jewish converts because I'm coming out of a religious background. So James says, let's not trouble the Gentile converts. As a general rule, Let's not bind upon them things that God has not bound. Now, before he goes into some suggestions, here's what all the Jews are thinking. Yeah, but what about all these things they do? What about all that weird stuff? All those pagan practices. I mean, these are the guys that they call church prostitution. I mean, these are the guys that are eating all this crazy meat that's sacrificed to idols, drinking blood in the name of their pagan God. What do we do with that? I mean, you think about two contrasting worlds, primarily, usually in the church, the people that we convert are people that are a lot like us, which is a bad thing, by the way. We need to convert all people. But imagine bringing in people from the weirdest fringes of society and saying, come here, be part of us. So you have your fundamentalist, conservative Christians, and then the most left-leaning, you know, progressive, idealistic kind of person over here and say, all right, guys, get along. It's going to be a challenge, right? It was a challenge at this time. So here's James's suggestion. He says, here's my judgment. And I like that term, my judgment. This is the conclusion that I formed that we should ask these Gentiles to do. Because I imagine every Jewish Christian had a list that said, they need to do this, they need to do this, they need to do this. And we sometimes do that too as Christians. And we overwhelm a new convert with all the things they're not supposed to do anymore. And they're like, why? You know what I mean? We're like, well, we don't know, but you're just not supposed to do that. And that's kind of what is happening here. So James says, let me show you what we should require. What's what's a good conclusion? What's a a compromise that we can make? So here's what he says. We're going to ask the Gentile converts to abstain from things contaminated by idols. Okay, because idol worship is bad. And if they were engaging in eating a whole bunch of meat sacrificed to idols, they might fall back to that. Also, if they're going to try to get along with the Jewish brethren which they needed to, you don't want to do something that's going to offend everybody, okay? If you show up to the new church potluck and you bring meat that was sacrificed to an idol, you've lost your influence right away, right? So he says, let's tell them not to do that, which, by the way, abstaining from things sacrificed to idols is not condemned in Scripture, at least in the New Testament. In fact, we're told that it's a matter of judgment. But in this case right here, they said, you know what? It's my judgment that we ask them not to do that. Now, some of them might say, well, is it right or is it wrong? Well, right now, it's probably wrong. You probably shouldn't do it. You know, we we make those judgment calls. There's some things that we just don't do because it ruins the peace. So we don't do them. We don't make it an issue. So number one, he says, abstain from things contaminated by idols. Number two, he says, abstain from sexual immorality. Your version might say fornication. That's a pretty easy one to understand. I mean, Old Testament, New Testament makes that pretty much a universal command. We got that, right? You don't sleep around. You don't commit adultery. You don't, you know, um, you stay faithful to your spouse. That's what you're supposed to do. A lot of these Gentiles came from backgrounds, and I think all of these things had to do with idol worship, by the way, because their church services to their idol gods involved sexually immoral behavior. You can research it, look up. Um, you know, some of the cult prostitution or the temple prostitutes and things like that that went on in pagan idol worship. So he's trying to separate them from this, and he lays out, let's tell them not to engage in sexual immorality. Then he says, abstain from eating what is strangled. Now, this might be kind of a weird one for us a little bit, because I don't think we strangle animals to death usually, and I think it has to do more or less with how you're draining the blood and things like that. You can talk to Curtis. He knows all about, you know, how you bleed out meat. Um, But this whole idea here, this had to do with idol worship practices again. The Gentiles, just think about if you're a Jew. All of them are disgusting to you, okay? You, You see some, what? You're eating meat that's not drained of blood. You're you're eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. You you sleep around, and then he throws in this last one, abstain from eating blood. To a Jewish person, you look like a monster, okay? Really, that's what it was to them. They saw idol worship practices is so abhorrent and disgusting that you look like some kind of wacky vampire, and we're over here looking like, you know, angels, right? That's kind of how they viewed it all. So, Um, what James suggests is let's get the Gentiles to tone things down, okay? Let's get them to stop doing all the things associated with idol worship. If we can at least get them out of that, if we can get them out of their old way of worshiping a false god, we're doing pretty good. So let's get them to not eat things they're sacrificed to idols. Let's get them to definitely not commit sexual immorality. Let's make sure that they're not eating the stuff that's like not even drained out of blood. And you picture them eating some flesh with blood dripping down. All this kind of gross stuff, calling it church. And then abstain from eating blood. That was what they wanted to require of the Gentiles. They said, let's, let's do this. If we can get them to do these things, we are doing well. It makes sense. Because you're definitely not going to get a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christian to get along if any of those things were going on, right? Now, later on, some of these are worked through, like the meat sacrifice to idols, which I think that's the first point, where they kind of come to more of an understanding on that. But as a whole, you're never going to get Jew and Gentile to get along if brother so-and-so from up here in the north is eating blood at the potluck, okay? I mean, it's not going to work that way. You just can't do that. It's like trying to get the crypts and the bloods together, and you're both still wearing your gang colors. You can't do that. So here's what he asked the Gentiles to do. Now, the question is, and why? Why did they come up with these commands, not others? Because there's all sorts of other things that they could be talking about. Why was this the list? Well, first off, think about the idea of where these Gentiles are coming from. They are coming from idol worship, pagan worship practices. And a lot of the things associated with those pagan worship practices involve blood and sexual morality. If we can get them to stop doing those things, it'll probably keep them from falling back into those practices, right? I would encourage somebody who is struggling with drunkenness to not go to the bars. Yeah, but what if I just go to hang out? I would recommend you don't go there. Abstain from that because you might be drawn back in because that was your every weeknight way of doing things. You struggle with drunkenness. Don't be around that anymore. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Look, you guys struggle with idol worship. Don't do those things that pull you back in. And all of us have sins like that, right? There's sins that we struggle with, and there's triggers for those different sins. Don't do the things that trigger those sins. If you struggle with looking at pornography on the Internet, you know what I mean? Don't look at a computer in a private place put filters on your phone, right? Why well, I can, let's be careful so you don't fall back into those sins. That's number one, why I think they laid these commands out there. Number two, I think these commands were given to try to create peace with the Jewish believers. There's some things that we just have to get people to, to work through if we want everybody to get along. There's some things that aren't even always a matter of right or wrong, but we can't do them because we want to have peace. The sensibilities of the Jewish Christians would have just been overwhelmed if a Gentile came in acting the way the Gentiles were used to always acting. Now, we're not gonna completely fix all of it, but there's some things that we could clean up, right? We clean it up a bit, a little bit, because we want to help them all get along. And we do that. And I've had tons of examples like this in my own life where uh, someone comes to Jesus, and they're from a background not like my own. And because of that, they struggle with sins that maybe I don't struggle with. I struggle with other ones. None of us are perfect. But some of the things that I wouldn't do out of a matter of discretion, they do. The question is, what do I require of them? You know, there's some things that should probably never come out of a Christian's mouth. And I'll call you out on that. You know, you're rated R and past, that kind of thing. On the other hand, there's, what about PG-13? Well, me, I, I, I kind of try to live with a GPG kind of way of handling my speech. Someone coming from a different background, hey, if they're doing PG-13, they're doing pretty good. I remember one Christian brother that I was would give me compliments using the PG-13 language. I'm not going to go. Don't say that. <laughs> no, the individual's trying to serve God. Their sensibilities or their way of doing things is different than mine because they came from a different background. We see this with dress sometimes with people. Maybe your background's different than mine. What you consider an appropriate way of dressing is probably different than mine, but I can't make laws where God has not made laws. Now, there's probably some pretty clear lines in certain things that we can look at, right? But in between, there's there's wisdom and discretion that has to take place. What are we going to require of people? You know, I could tell you, you know, don't get drunk. That's pretty clear in scripture, but I know some Christians that don't eat at Chili's because there's a bar there, right? can't require of people, you know, what God doesn't. And I think what we see here is they're trying, number one, to separate these Gentiles from some idol practices to protect them. And number two, they're trying to create peace among the Jewish believers. And then number three, look at verse 21. Verse 21 shows us that these commands are not unreasonable. These aren't just weird commands that the Gentiles... What do you mean we shouldn't do this? Look at verse 21. It says, for from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city, those who proclaim him, for he is read in the Sabbath and in the synagogues. So now what James does is he says, and by the way, these commands that we are asking of these Gentiles, these suggestions there for them, aren't unusual ones. They're synagogues in all these Gentile villages, and they know what we preached. They know what Moses preached, they know what the Old Testament says. To a sense. You know, take our own country for an example. Whether or not you've ever actually followed Jesus, you have probably a familiarity with the Ten Commandments, right? Oh, thou shalt not steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father. You've got a few of those in your mind, whether or not you've ever even heard a sermon, because of the influence of Christendom in our communities and all of that. Same thing back then. There was the influence of Judaism even in the places where people weren't. Jewish. So it wouldn't be unheard of for God to ask or for these Christians to ask these Gentile converts to not do these idle practices. It would make sense to them. It wasn't unreasonable. Now, when people look at this passage, then they come back to me and go, well, Cliff, are we supposed to follow these? What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? It's not specifically applying to our situation. Some of these commands are pretty clear. We should always not commit sexual immorality. Right? I mean the Bible condemns that all over the place. Eating things sacrificed to idols seems to be a judgment call in Scripture. The, the things that are strangled, things that are drinking blood, that was condemned in the Old Testament. Question is, is it condemned now? I don't know. Preachers supposed to have a conclusion, right? I don't drink blood. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't, I've never strangled my own food, so I guess I'm good there. You know, but and from what I understand, our meat, when it is processed, is not processed in a way that violates this. So, and the way we do things, But, however, I don't think that this really fits with specifics today. I think the idea is more trying to get people to leave their idol worship behind and to not go down a path that's going to cause them to stumble. Now, there's modern application of that, though. Sometimes we as Christians, someone might ask, what can I do to clean up my act a little bit? I'm trying to follow Jesus. And we might give them some specific things they should work on because of their background. Someone who, their background is, you know, going to the clubs every every weekend, there's some things we want to get them to stop doing. If their background is violent, there's some things we're going to help them to stop doing. We might not even have book, chapter, verse for all of them, but there are going to be some sensible ways of handling certain situations. If someone comes from, you know, a sexually immoral background, a homosexual background, you know, something like that, there's some things we're going to work on, But some of it is also a judgment call on how we, what we enforce, what we ask of somebody in order to keep peace, in order to get along, in order to help move people out of sin. Let's keep going, though, as we go on. In verse 22, we find out that this message is agreed upon. I love verse 22. It says, then it seemed good. I love it. It seemed good to the apostles and to the elders and with the whole church that choose men to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter to them. So they write out a letter to the Gentiles. And I love this because we can read the very letter that a whole bunch of really concerned Christians from a Jewish background wrote to try to encourage the new Gentile Christians so that together the church could grow. We have that here. And I like that they also appointed godly leaders to send the message there. They didn't go, eh, we'll just send it with whoever goes up you know, to Antioch next. No, they picked some really good people that are skilled with their words that aren't going to turn everybody up. There's some Christians that mean well and they do bad things, okay, because of the way they handle situations. Here they didn't do that. They picked the guys that they know that could keep a level head, that wouldn't command something that God wouldn't command, that would preach this message in a way that was reasonable, that was loving, and they picked these godly leaders to go out there and deliver this message. Question then for us, how does this apply to us today? What are some lessons that we can take from it? Because don't get caught up in the the question of eating blood. If that's all you got from this, you're not listening to the lesson right. This isn't a lesson about, well, whether or not we should eat blood. It's a question about how do we work through differences and how do we solve problems. Well, in part number two of our application then of this lesson today, here's what I see. Number one, when there's a controversy, when there's drama in the church, when you have people coming together from all different backgrounds Use scripture as a consistent standard, first and foremost. James appealed to the book of Amos for his foundation of what he was going to say. If we don't have any kind of foundation to base our opinions on, our judgment calls on, just stop right there because you have nothing to stand on. So number one, use scripture as a consistent standard. Number two, use wisdom and try to find a conclusion that works for all involved. Challenge. Because usually in any group of people, there's a majority and a minority. At this time in the book of Acts, Jewish Christians were the minority, or were the majority, Gentile ones were the minority. Now, it actually shifts historically, but at this time, the Jewish people had the influence in the church. They were the leaders. It was their way of doing things, not the Gentiles' way. But in a diverse group, we have to learn to work together We have to learn to find a conclusion that balances both sides of things so that we can get along, so that Democrats and Republicans can be in the same church, right? So that people from opposite sides of the neighborhood can be in the same church, so that people from different races can be in the same church. People who struggle with different sins can be in the same church. But that requires wisdom. It's not always as easy as, I got book, chapter, verse. You don't always. We don't always. Not every situation has a verse that applies to it. Now, there's principles, but God wants us to stop, think, pray, discuss, and use wisdom and to try to find a conclusion that works for everyone involved. And then finally, number three, skilled people should deliver the message in person. Now, I know that's really pointed, but I like that that's what happened. They didn't just mail the letter, which I know they didn't have a postal service back then, but you know what I'm saying. They sent godly people with the message to talk to these individuals and treat them like human beings. One of the things that ticks me off more than anything is when people avoid dealing with problems head on, when you just make a policy change. Oh, that drives me insane. You know, someone does something we don't like. Well, we'll just make a rule. That way we don't actually have to talk to that one person. No. we got to put our big boy pants on sometimes and talk to people, right? And that's what they did right here. They sent people to go talk to them, but they sent people who were skilled, They didn't give it to the brother who always has an opinion and thinks everything's a big conspiracy, right? They didn't give it to him. They didn't give it to the brother over here that thinks, well, the church is out to get them and that, you know, they don't love. No, they gave it to the people that were balanced. They gave it to the people who were knowledgeable. They gave it to the people who were influential. And they gave the letter to those who could handle the situation without creating a whole bunch more drama. And they were successful. Here's why I know that. Let's skip ahead to verse 31. So they go there, they deliver the letter, they read it, verse 30. So the whole congregation of Gentiles comes together, and they read the letter. And then in verse 31, it says, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. There's a tone there that we don't hear, right? See, when we just read this, we don't sense the tone of how the message was was portrayed. But I guarantee it, when they read this letter, when they presented this letter, it wasn't cold, it wasn't callous. It wasn't just formulaic, it was done in love, it was done out of compassion, and the people here received it with encouragement. They liked it, but they're telling them to change. But you know what the Gentiles wanted? They wanted to do what was right. They wanted to follow God. They wanted to get along with their Jewish brothers, and the Jewish brothers that came up there, they loved the Gentiles. They loved and wanted to follow God, and they wanted to get along. And when people come together with that as their background, that we want to find unity and we want to serve Jesus, when we work through an issue, at the end we can have joy because of the encouragement of the message. As you go on, it says they liked it so much. Verse 32, it says, Judas and Silas also being taught themselves encouraged and strengthen the brethren with a lengthy message. The people even received this long sermon, which usually if you don't like the message, you leave after that. But they kept preaching and they spent time with them And many people were coming to God, verse 35, because of how they handled this situation. So I'd also like to add, kind of as we conclude, another way that we can handle problems is we need to consider loving correction and encouragement. When someone tries to help us do better, don't get angry. Don't put up your guard. Don't bristle up against it. But consider loving correction as an encouragement. Yes, sometimes differences cause drama. But if we can approach those issues and those differences in the way that these godly brethren did back here in Acts chapter 15, we can work through all sorts of drama. Yeah, the world might be divisive. The world might be falling apart. But the church, we can be a place of unity. We can be a place where people from all different backgrounds, whether they be coming from a really strict religious one or no religion at all, can come together and find hope in Jesus Christ. Our differences sometimes cause drama, but they don't have to cause division. Lesson is yours this morning. In all things, be sure to solve problems in a godly way and follow the pattern here of Acts chapter 15. Before I close this off, though, with a prayer, I do want to make one announcement. This is by way of kind of announcing an upcoming sermon series. Starting next month, we're going to take another break from Acts. We're going to keep coming into Acts, but I'm not going to stay with Acts every week because I want to hit some other things as we go. I want to, in the month of February, deal with some questions. Questions like, why do we believe? Like, why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in the Bible? Why do I believe in Jesus? Why do I believe in in Christianity? You know, I think a lot of times we assume, and and rightly so, that the people that are here on a Sunday believe in these things, but maybe you don't know why. And if you don't know why, maybe it's not a good belief. So the next several weeks in February, we're going to be answering these questions in order. Um, So, if you have friends that have asked these questions, you can encourage them to come in person or to tune in online. You can share the links. Um, I'm not an expert in the realm of apologetics or anything like that, but I can tell you why I believe in God, why I believe in the Bible, why I believe in Jesus, and why I believe in Christianity. And I think that probably the reasons that I do are are probably the reasons you do too. And we'll talk about those and talk about some evidences for these areas. So, that's next month and the month of February. We'll be answering the question. Why do we believe? Well, let's close out with a prayer and the brother Steve Mullins will come to the mic and lead us in our final song. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for allowing us to learn to to apply it to our lives and we just pray that as we deal with division in the world and division in the church that we can find unity through solving problems the way that you would have us to solve them. Help us to not use diversity as an excuse to have drama and division but instead let us look for ways to love one another, to accept one another and to offer grace each other. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Brother Steve. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.